Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. I started reading your blog and then, yeah, I would find articles and I would like make my parents read them. So <laughs> Um, That's awesome. That's always super cool to hear. Thank you for, thanks for doing that. No, it, so much of, you know, what I read, like your article about how to be great or the power of compounding or just talking about you yourself learning to code has been so helpful for me, especially. And it's changed the way I look at a lot of different things. So that's, that's really awesome. Um, that's, that's awesome to hear. The best thing about putting your stuff out there is actually having people read it and engage with it and find it useful. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for reading all my yeah. stuff and reaching out. Yeah. So that was actually my first question. So I, a couple weeks ago, with your help, I started a ghost blog on a digital ocean droplet. So I put it on my Instagram story. I was like, Hey, I have a blog. And some of my friends reached out to me and it was really nice just for people to be like, Hey, I read it. Um, and just the fact that they read it, but hey, I read it and I liked it. And that was really nice. Yeah. And I have 14 subscribers to my blog. And so you've had over 400,000 people read your blog. So like, what's that being mini famous or how do you deal with that? What's that like? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. I So I launched my blog at the beginning of 2019. And so it's now been almost two years um, and yeah, the number of people who have read an article of mine is, it's insane to think about that that many people have been on my site. Not all of them have necessarily read an entire article, let's say some of them would have bounced, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it's pretty cool to see like how many people reach out and are like, I read your stuff or because of you, I learned to code or whatever. It's as nice in, in between of, I don't think I'd ever want to be actually famous where like your life is disrupted and you can't go anywhere and you always have to be worrying what people think. It's just the reason I like writing online so much is it because it creates a filter, right? Where it's like, you're not in everyone's face, but if people find your stuff valuable, then they actually choose to engage with it. And it's almost like a filter to find people who are like you or who are interested in the same things or who yeah. um, have the same ambitions. And that's been really cool. So yeah. it's, it is nice, of course, like I'm human to get, you know, messages that are like, oh, like loved your stuff, blah, blah, blah. blah. But it's actually I mean, even cooler to have people, like I've made so many friends and so many connections that end up benefiting both me and the other person through just like them finding my stuff. And then we realize, oh, we both really enjoy this topic or this book, or I'm working on a project like X and I'm working on a project like Y and we can benefit from each other. So stuff like that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to ask you about what it means to build in public and stuff like that afterwards. But yeah, I remember seeing something the other day that was like, you want people to know your name, but not your face. And I definitely, <laughs> yes, I definitely think that's a good, a good saying. Yeah. So you used to work for Top Tall. Is, it, is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah. Top and so, yeah. It's top like Top Talent, okay. but the int is. Ah, I see. Yeah. I see. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think I was preparing for this interview last night and I had a ton of tabs of like your post open. And then I found you on LinkedIn. I didn't even realize, but you were like an engineering chemistry major yes. in college. Yeah, exactly. So which is basically just like at the university I went to, there was two kind of streams of chemical engineering. So it's basically a chemical engineering degree that's mixed with a science chemistry degree, like a 
it's not a dual degree, but it, in terms of the courses that we took, it honestly should have been a dual degree. But yes, that's what I did in, in university. So yeah, chemical engineering is hard. And then you came over to the dark side and became a coder. Uh, <laughs> and you talk about just like remaking your life and choosing to live authentically. How is that, you know, changed the way you live, changed the way that you view yourself? And what are the benefits that you couldn't really have expected of really committing to, you know, change the way that you do your day to day? Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about, I did a chemical engineering degree, but even before that, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I've always liked kind of science, math, tech kind of stuff. Um, But I even remember going to university and when I was applying to schools, I was actually applying to all science programs. And my dad was the one who was like, Hey, you should apply to engineering programs. And I'm like, I don't really know the difference. Like, I don't like, is this really going to matter? And he basically was like, look, it's just going to be easier for you to find a job. I just went in and chose something that I was like, this sounds pretty interesting. I don't really know what I want to do. Like basically every other person going into their undergrad. Exactly. Then when I uh, went to graduate in four or when I was in fourth year, when everyone's looking for jobs, I don't know if it works like this these days now that everything's online, but I remember at like beginning of fourth year, there's all these job fairs and Mm -hmm. almost immediately as you're graduating, people are in your face trying to sell you on these different companies. And when you're in ChemEng, it's all like oil companies or like chemical processing plants. And I'm like, this all, this does not sound appealing at all. Like I just learned all this really cool stuff in school. Like you're working in a lab. You're like, I done research for every summer and done really cool stuff in in the research labs. And then just been like, this is it. Like, I'm just going to go work on an oil rig and punch some numbers into a computer. So that was like uh, really depressing. And eventually what happened is I went into consulting instead because a lot of, at least in Canada, a lot of consulting firms hire engineers because they think they're just smart and they can learn whatever they need to learn. They don't need a business degree. So I did that. And then that was an opening for me to be like, oh, wait, there's just like other options out there, right? Just because I did this degree doesn't mean that I need to go and do exactly what you're expected to after that degree. And then after that, I had a more like aha moment when basically a friend of mine sent me this thing. I'm sure most people know it now, but at the time it was unknown. It was remote year and they were just starting. They were doing their like I think second year, they were like in the middle of their first year and they were recruiting for their second year. And now they've done dozens of trips. But at that time, it sounds crazy now because now literally the whole world is working remotely. But even in this was in 2015, I remember like learning about it and being like, wait, what? Like you can go and travel and have a flexible life and all this stuff. And so that was an aha moment, not just for working remotely, but almost there's like other ways of doing things that like I'm on this like very like clear path where had I stayed at that consulting firm, I would have, I was an analyst and then I would have become like a senior analyst and then associate part, all this stuff. It was like very clear. And it was like just this, whoa, like there's so many other things you can do. And there's actually things that you don't even know exist. So that was like an aha moment for me. And then I went and ended up joining TopTal as a growth marketer. And then from there, it just got me on this path of being like, all these like preconceived notions of what you should learn, what you should do, what you can do, got I got rid of yeah. those, or at least they were much more subtle in my life. And then I was able to learn to code on the side. And then like I was working remotely and then I was traveling. And then I just by doing all those things, I ended up encountering a lot more people who were doing those kind of things. And then the more you encounter people who are doing interesting things, the more interesting things that you get exposed to. And it, it just became this flywheel where now I don't even know, I don't even know what I would call myself in terms of a profession. And I don't even know where I'll be in three years, but 
I think that's actually um, where a lot of people will end up being in the next five to 10 years with the way that the workforce is changing. Yeah. And that's so much of what I love about reading your blog is it had that effect for me. It was like, whoa. So I'm a second year CS major at Georgia Tech. So I, so many of myself included and my friends, we try to square our major, which seems like a huge decision when you enter college, because they ask us to pick our major before we even go to college. Just picking your major and trying to square it against the narrative arc of your life. It's I'm going to do this and then I'm going to work for X company and then maybe Mm -hmm. go to X company and have X position and be senior technical analyst, wherever. Um, (laughs) And something like that. And, and so seeing what you did and being exposed to that whole community of, cause Peter Levels is talking about it, but it's like all over Twitter. So many people talking about remote work yeah. and, and COVID just accelerated that. And what you did was amazing to me. And so I was wondering if you could talk to me about like the internal gymnastics of seeing yourself one way, cause I, I see yeah. it at school all the time. So I'm a TA from the introductory computer science class. And mm-hmm. we have kids all the time that like don't see themselves as coders. So they'll sit yes. down to write their first line of code and they're like, oh my gosh, like technology. I hate this. And <laughs> yeah. in their heads already, like I can't do this. And so talk to me about you saw yourself in a certain way, I assume, like going to yeah. top town, being an engineering chemistry major. And then, and, and you talk about it in the blog, this program idea of keeping your identity small. You changed your identity or at least the identity that you presented to the world. So talk to me about what was that like? What was that like Steph Smith talking to Steph Smith? Okay, this is the person I think I am. Yeah. So I think in general, we tend to like want to associate our identities with things because it makes us feel better. It makes us like, it justifies the decisions that we're making. So if I decided to take a chemical engineering degree, calling myself a chemical engineer feels good because I just spent four years doing that. And I, it feels like, like there, people don't want to honestly sit down with themselves at the end of the day and be like, what am I right now? They want to like feel better because they're compiling all of the things that they've done in their, in their entire life or in several years. Cause that feels great. Like you're like, I am this, I've worked really hard towards this and you have in many, like I, so I got my chemical engineering degree. That was hard. But because of that, there's almost like loss aversion where you, you don't want to let go of things that you've worked towards. And for those reasons, you actually, whether it's like conscious or not, I think people struggle to work towards new things because they feel like if they're working towards something new, they're like losing the like investment that they've done so far. And that also comes with a level of pride because if I'm, for example, I've worked my way up marketing and then I decide to learn to code. I'm going from a position that maybe at least in the way that others view me is like, oh, she's, she leads a team and she, she's been doing this for X many years and she knows all these things and she's an expert. And then if I go learn to code, I'm starting from zero and it's at least mentally a, a taxing choice because you're like, oh, I'm going from knowing a bunch of stuff about X to knowing very little, if not, if anything about Y. And so I think we like to view ourselves in, with these labels of like, I'm X or I'm Y because it feels good, because it represents the investment that we've done so far. But it's not actually an accurate representation of what you're, where you're going, or like what you're learning in this present moment. Because I can have spent five years doing marketing, but if I spent the next five years not really learning anything, I think that's actually less impressive than if I start over new, or if I learn, build up additional Mm -hmm. skills alongside Mm -hmm. that. 
And so I think, I, yeah, the keep your identity small thing is important because it's, we like to identify ourselves as specific things, but in doing that, it really limits us from being open to starting new or to, if you're an artist, for example, you feel like you can't code because you feel like those things are juxtaposed against one another. And so yeah. I think it's really important for people, if you're focused truly on what's going to be best for me, not how am I viewed. And that's hard because it's, I can admit, even when I was leading the publications team at TopTel, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm like 25 and I'm leading a team of 20. And some of these people are double my age and this is really cool. Um, And lots of people are reaching out to me for interviews about remote work. And it was nice, at least in terms of how other people were viewing me. But if you try to view your life in a way of what is actually going to, what is actually best for me in terms of the skills I'm learning? How do I make myself a better person? And you try to dissociate with like, how do I view myself and how do other people view themselves? That's when I think you can go and do anything, which is why I I do everything from coding my own projects to like working in marketing to like writing a book or or, I'm not limiting myself in terms of like how other people view me or what other people expect me to do next. And I'm just focusing on what do I want to do next? What actually excites me and what's going to actually like in the long term help me build up a stronger skill set or something that is going to benefit me in the long term instead of just like going down a path because I think other people expect me to do that or I expect myself to do that. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really powerful, especially for me, like being a CS major in college, a lot of the way that we describe ourselves is like software engineer or, or software developer. Mm-hmm. Like that's the sort of the job you do and that's what you, you call yourself. And I had this mini sort of a little bit of a change at the beginning of the summer where I read Paul Graham's Hackers and Painters where mm-hmm. he talks about you're closer to, you talked about artists, right? Like yeah. a hacker is a creator, a builder, a, a maker. And and that seemed like such a good way to describe myself. And and so I was wondering about that because I found, I thought I found it. I was like, oh, I'm a hacker. So I'll just put this everywhere. So I went up on my social media. I'm like, oh, I'm a hacker guys. And it's, it is really nice when I talk to myself, I'm like, this is what I'm doing now. And it does provide this sense of security. And when I was looking at your body of work, you went from doing marketing to to coding to now writing a book and selling it and being really successful. And the way you sold that book, I thought was really smart too. We'll talk about that after. But yeah, I read something by Eric Torenberg where he was talking about taking asymmetrical bets. So he was specifically encouraging people to start startups, but it also, I think applies to like taking bets on yourself because that's an asymmetrical bet, right? You've built up a knowledge base for five years in marketing. You also did four years in engineering chemistry. And now you go and you switch to something completely different. But if you look at the risk reward of that, you grew a lot as a result of that experience and you were able to make a lot of amazing things. And and so the reason Tornberg says that people don't want to do changes like that is because they're afraid of looking stupid in the short term, even. And so you posted on your blog, right? A, a former coworker being like, oh my gosh, Steph, I'm like really so excited. I'm paraphrasing, but it's, oh, I'm so excited or so pumped to see like this career change you've made. Did you experience at all like the opposite reaction at all when you made this change? Oh, okay, Steph, you changed your career. Did anyone think it was a bad decision? Maybe besides your parents or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because both of the times I had two major changes or actually three-ish now. But anyway, I went from 
chemical engineering to consulting, no one really cared there because consulting was at least in the framework of thinking of like good jobs. Like yeah, a consulting job was also a good job relative to a chemical, like working on an oil rig or, or yeah, you know, working for, for Exxon or something. Yeah, exactly. So that wasn't really received badly by anyone. But the other two, both times, my mom was like, are you sure about this? Just because it was like, speaking to what you mentioned from Eric Tornberg, it's like all of the decisions like that look really bad in the short term. So if you really are thinking from with a short-term perspective, you're never going to make large changes. If you imagine you learn about this in high school, like on a curve, there's like the local minimum and maximum and then there's like the global. And if you're stuck in here and you're making small iterations or changes or optimizations, you're never going to get past the local or maxima or minima. And so, yes, if you're thinking short term, these decisions don't make any sense, right? Like you're, I'm already leading a team. I'm already doing, you know, great things. And then I switch to be an individual contributor again, or like I'm working in consulting and I decide to quit that and go into some random remote company that like, I hadn't heard of TopTal before I joined them. It ended up being really great for me. All these things, the point is that obviously you have to make somewhat calculated bets, but in general, if you're thinking long-term, you have a lot more room for error. And let's say both the TopTal and the Hustle switches worked for me and ended up being really positive for me, but let's say they weren't. I'd be fine. Like I, w- I would go and I would make another bet. And so another thing to, to mention is that I think people these days are really like risk averse, especially with their own careers and their lives, because they think again, it, that it's like these building blocks that they're leading up, they're trying to climb some hill. And if they fall off the hill, they yeah. can never get back up. But in reality, especially if you're young, like I'm in my twenties, you're also super young. What's wrong with <laughs> a couple stumbling blocks, right? It's the same thing as like Eric Torenberg talks about with startups like not every startup succeeds. And if you're thinking about a startup from the short-term perspective, startup makes no sense. If you're thinking one, two, three years, a startup will never pass or surpass an incumbent that's much bigger. But if you're thinking in the long-term, then it makes sense. And so I think everyone, whether you're young or old, can benefit from a slightly longer-term perspective because that allows you to have more room to take bigger bets. Because again, you're never going to get outside that like local minima or maxima unless you take bigger swings. But yeah, to answer your question, I didn't really have too much pushback, but I did have some people that were like, oh, really? This is surprising, right? Like, I'm surprised that you're walking away from your great consulting job or whatever. But I feel like I've always, people that know me well always know that I've, I have strong conviction when I do things. I don't just like randomly, I'm not one of those people who like randomly quits their job and is, oh my God, what did I do? I think like very methodically about everything that I'm going to do. And so I think most people that knew me well were like, I don't, maybe I wouldn't do this, but like you've been right before (laughs) type thing. So do it, do your thing and we'll be watching. Yeah. They trusted your judgment. That's super cool. And yeah, you changed careers and you were super sort of transparent about the whole thing in terms of learning to code in a way that was, you know, really helpful for me too, where you talked about the seven misconceptions of learning to code. And also you posited your own, like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule with the 300 (laughs) hours to build your first app, which I thought was pretty cool. (laughs) And yeah, you have had, you've again, played a lot of different roles, but you've modeled learning in public as well as 
like building in public. And so before you were talking about that, you've met a lot of great people on this journey. And it seemed like a magic trick to me that you created your job at the hustle out of thin air. You went and (laughs) and you just turned yourself into this new person. Again, not really sticking yourself to one identity, but you, you know, created this job. You're an incredible writer, but you're also a creator um, and you worked in marketing. So you've worn a lot of different hats. Talk to me about the power of learning in public and then also transitioning because while you were learning in public you were learning by doing so you were also building in public at the same time so um talking about both of those processes and and how they impacted your network and your relationship with other people yeah so there's i guess two parts to building in public that i'll talk to and one of them is more of an internal motivator and then one is obviously you benefit from the response that you get so the first is internally when i first started building or sharing in public, it was mostly because if you think about, you've ever heard of the habit loop, there's the habit and wait, I'm going to mess this up because I always, but basically there's, there's three parts to it. And the final part is a reward. And so you actually need within the habit loop to actually want to continuously do stuff. You need some sort of reward to stimulate your brain and you doing whatever hard thing that you're doing. And when you're building something, whether it's like building a blog, whether it's, creating an application, whether it's just building up your online following, like you need micro rewards throughout or else it's going to be really hard for you to continue doing whatever you're doing. And so that was almost, I read The Power of Habit like a couple of years ago. It was one of the first kind of like personal development books that I had read that really spoke to me. And I just recognized that if I was going to go and try to build things online, especially when I'm first starting out and I'm like stumbling and really not good at what I'm doing, then I need some sort of feedback loop to keep me interested. And so that's why I started building in public. But then of course, as I started building in public and learning in public, I, you know, realized that while you do that, people really respond well to that because there really is a culture in the like overall tech business space where people are a little more guarded in terms of what they share because they think some competitor is going to take that and utilize that against them. Or just in general, they just feel like in sharing information, they're putting themselves and their success at risk. And I never, I understand the sentiment of that. Of course, I've worked at companies where there's sensitive information and stuff like that. But at least for my personal projects, I was like, I just don't really have anything to to hide. I don't have anything to lose in sharing this stuff. I believe Derek Sivers has that thing about like ideas versus execution. And I've just always felt pretty confident in my ability to execute. And therefore, I'm more open to sharing ideas because it doesn't matter if I tell everyone exactly what I'm about to do. I have more confidence that I can execute this and execute it not just faster, but in my own way. And I think that for that reason, I've always been more open to sharing ideas. And so as I did that, I was sharing openly because there isn't, there is more people doing it now, but two years ago, there wasn't that many people just sharing everything. I've gotten so many people who reach out to me specifically for my open page even though there's other open pages of, that exist now, I like every single week have someone writing in being like, this is so cool. How did you build this? I want to build something just like this. But the idea of building in the open, there's, I'm sure someone should actually write a book on this. But um, from what I understand, the idea of building in the open, it's like when you're like, if your car breaks down, someone's more likely to ha- pull over and help you if they see you pushing your car versus like you sitting yep. on the side of the road, hoping someone will help you. 
And so the idea of building the open is just like sharing what you're doing over time. And I've been really intentional about not just I do share updates like this, where you're just like, hey, I hit this MRR, but also just as I'm doing anything, like you mentioned the Digital Ocean Ghost um, article, where it's anytime I had done something that I was like, huh, this took me a couple hours or a couple days or weeks, and this could benefit someone else, I wrote an article about it. And for me, building in the open was a way for me to continue to stay motivated. But through that, tons of other people have come into the fold with me and like joined the journey, which has been really nice. And I think honestly, had I not built in the open for like across my projects, I wouldn't be nearly the same size. Like I think I would actually be a fraction in terms of people following my journey and getting involved. I think I would probably have 10% of the followers, um, 10% of the subscribers if I had not built in the open. I truly believe that because I've seen consistent, like I've seen so many people ask me or be like, how did you build up this following? And when I think back, there was no single article, there was no single project or anything that I launched that, you know, got me to where I am. It was all these like micro, micro inflection points, whether it was like launching an app, one tweet going viral, writing a specific article that went viral, like all these things would add like a dozen followers, a hundred followers, something like that. But nothing across any of the projects was like monumental across that journey. And then it had I not been building in public, I would have had a 10th of the things to share. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I say that I truly don't think I would be where I am. If I was not building in public, I'm sure other people have been successful without building in public. But across my journey, when I look back, people see, oh, you launched a book, it was super successful. How did you do it? And when I look back, there's all this time and effort and projects and that I can remember. And like, the again, the like micro inflection points that got me to where I am. And so that's why when people are like, how did you launch this book? I want to do something just like it. I'm like, I can tell you everything I did for this book, but it really was based upon two years of building things up very slowly. Yeah. And you really embody the things you talk about because one of your biggest articles is about the power of compounding. And that informs so much of, of how I think about stuff in terms of you quote atomic habits. And you, I think you also quote this idea of like high average velocity, zero acceleration, which yes. you've definitely shown just based on the quality of your posts and the regular cadence you built up. And obviously now that Digital Ocean article has a ton of comments on it, including my own. <laughs> but yeah, you built this, you know, little community of people who were just like um, interested in what you had to do. And it was so powerful because reading what you did make me made me feel like I could build something cool too. You know, so thank you for that. But a lot of, especially during this time, I was reading about it and people are talking about online communities is, is a big thing and community building is a big thing we hear about now. And the most interesting reason I heard someone say that why that might be the case is because it was Justin Murphy. I don't know if you know him, but he has a community at IndieThinkers.org. And he was talking about how I think cultural entrepreneurs are seeing that literally reality is up for grabs at this point. Mm -hmm. And so people have the opportunity to reshape what reality is. And so honestly, seeing your blog and, and being exposed to that whole ecosystem was like discovering a new reality for me. 
And there's lots of these ecosystems out there, like indie hackers, one of them, first of all, and, and a lot of what you did, right, played off of the community because you had your content that you were posting, but you could also share it in a community like that. And then you also had Twitter, which like I've just gotten on Twitter, but yeah, Twitter is pretty dope. How did having a community of other people who are building at the same time, how did that drive you? And how did getting feedback on your builds? Because you made a lot of cool stuff. And to go back to the thing you said about people being guarded about what they're building, you literally did the opposite thing with right streaming what you did for 24 hour startup on Twitch, right? That's, and, and I love watching part of that. I, I watched like the first 10 minutes and then I was like, okay, this is a little weird. But, it was really long. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was so funny to me because you're just like looking at the text box or something and, and you just go, oh, I hate this font. And it just reminded me so much because like when we're building something, right, we really do attach like our personal worth to it. I really feel I am as good as the last thing I created. So when you're building something, it's like your baby, you're like, you have very strong feelings about it. And just to see you voice that in that small moment was so funny for me. But yeah, can you talk about what it's like having a community online? Because you've built obviously a huge following, but also a lot of people play off of you. I just saw a post on Indie Hackers where people were like, why do you think Steph Smith's book is doing so well? Yeah. <laughs> and like <laughs> in my head, I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing Steph Smith. But you know, it, I don't know, what, what is that like having people talk about you in that way, but also building and, and feeding off other people? Because, you know, when I think of Indie Hackers, and, and obviously I feel new to this community, but like, I immediately think of you, I immediately think of a number of other people. So what's it like having a, a community to support you and in that you get some support from too. Yeah. So let me talk about two different things. The first I'll talk about this kind of sentiment of all of a sudden people look to me for advice and think of me as something within the community. And then I'll talk to basically just online communities at all overall and the power of them. The first point is funny because what people I think need to recognize, and it's hard to, especially when you're early on and you feel like there's all these people who know more than you, is that literally no one knows what they're doing. I figured this out years ago because I was put in positions where, for example, in consulting. When I worked in consulting, I would work with executives of Fortune 500 companies. And I'd go to them and I'd go to them with a deck. And I'd realize over time that no one knew what they're doing, including me, in the sense that, of course, we know what we're doing. We're intelligent. We have hypotheses and we're trying to do our best. But at the same time, everyone is still just trying to get by, trying to do better every day. And no one is the expert. I recognize this because early on in, in consulting, I felt like I had more expertise in certain areas than these executives. Not to say that I was smarter or you know more experienced or anything like that, but just it, it broke down this view of like that there are people out there that truly know what you're doing and you're separate from that. So everything that every skill, every industry, everything in life has some sort of curve and all that curve is just typically not the intelligence of a person within that space, but just the time that they've spent in that space or the effort that they've put towards. So you can accelerate the time by having more intense effort over that time period as well. 
And so that's true with coding. That's something I recognized pretty quickly with coding and that for a long time, it seemed like this big black box and there was developers and then there was people who weren't developers and it felt very much like a rigid structure. Um, and then over time you realize it's not this dichotomy. It's really just these people have been coding for five years and I've spent zero time coding. And then yep. you like work your way up the curve. So that's really important to know. And it's the true with these online spaces. And I say that because I, two years ago, was like you where I'd like go onto Twitter. I had 50 followers from high school and I just restarted on Twitter and I'm like, wow, like I really, I really respect people like Peter Levels and I admire them. And, and I still do to this day, but I remember there was a much different perspective there where I felt again, like he was a certain type of person and I was a certain type of person in that I, I didn't really see this path to being where I am today. We're now, for whatever reason, now that I've shared, I've learned a bunch and I've shared a bunch, people now look to me, which is funny because it, again, it was the other way around not so long ago. And so what you should, or you or anyone who's feels that way where you're like, wow, like what's it like for people to look up to you or admire your work? Just know that all it takes to get there is the work, right? I know that sounds obvious, but it's not that I'm any different or that I'm any more intelligent. It's just that I spent the last two years building things, sharing things, so that now people can see I have a body of work and some parts of that work people find super valuable. And it's the same thing with Peter, right? He's no different than you or I, but he's just spent the last five or maybe seven years, whatever it is, indie hacking, building stuff and sharing it. And he's been he's done a really good job there as well. But I think it's really important to note that it's not, oh, that there are certain people that people look up to. In fact, there's many people in the last three to six months that I've seen that have grown really quickly, way quicker than I did, who have followings probably around the size of, of mine, who, again, like just three to six months ago, were quote unquote, nobodies, right? And so all it takes is to put yourself out there and to put yourself out there in such a way where you're not, you're not necessarily cocky, but you're also not critical of yourself, right? Like where you have confidence that you have something to say and you can provide value. Do you know what I mean? Where it's, I, again, I'm no different than the people who have grown in the last three months to six months or the people like Peter who have grown over the last decade, where it's just about building stuff, providing value and not being afraid to do that. Um, so that's the first thing I, I would say. But then the second is how amazing the internet is in terms of building these online communities and why they are really impactful. Because this, so if you go back to before the internet, and also today for people who aren't engaging on the internet, the way that you meet people or learn from people or engage with ideas is just by chance. And what I mean by that, it's like when I lived in Toronto growing up, it was whoever happened to be at my high school, those would be my friends or whatever sport I happened to play, that would be my interest, whatever sport my parents put me in or club or whatever. And the same thing is true again for people today who don't engage with the internet in that most of what they engage with isn't like an intentional thing where it's, I'm going to go seek this out. It's, oh, my friends happen to be doing X or I happen to meet someone because I live in this borough or whatever. And the beauty of the internet is that, sure, you can still have like this happenstance interaction, but there's a lot more potential to just go and find the people that you want to be around. There's that saying that's like, you're, you are the combination of the five people that you spend the most, most time with. Yeah. Now, if you spend time with five people that you just happen to grow up with, that's great. I still have, you know, tons of friends that I keep in touch with that I care about from that time period. But there's this amazing, amazing potential for you, me, anyone 
to say, hey, I want to actually, I want to be more like these people that are building really cool things or learning about topics that I care about. I'm going to spend time with them. And that was really influential for me in the last couple of years, not just online communities, but being a nomad and like living in places like Bali, where I was just all of a sudden surrounded by people who were almost like curated. It wasn't, it, that sounds really artificial, but more like I ended up in a place where people with a lot of the same aspirations or values ended up as well. And then it becomes this, again, that kind of like uh, combination of the five people you surround yourself with, where you start to just, I think, almost exponentially grow because you're surrounded by these people who are also surrounded by really intelligent, smart, aspirational people. And so that was really cool for me in Bali. But I think the same thing is true online. I've experienced it. And I think it's this amazing potential where if you're like someone in in the middle of Iowa who you don't have anyone directly around you that's interested in tech or startups or building their own thing, have the internet that can be that for you, where you can join an online community and just be surrounded by whoever you want to be surrounded by because you can select the online communities that you're in. And I think that's huge. And I think I can speak to, again, people ask me like, oh, how did you get where you are in different ways? And honestly, when I talk to to people about it, in the end, there's many, there's many things that contributed to it. But living in Bali for me was one that I think was like such a game changer. Because again, I was just surrounded by people who were building similar things, people who could give me good feedback, And I was just constantly inspired by what I was seeing around me. And so again, you don't necessarily need to live in Bali to achieve the same thing, but you can create basically a a similar environment online. Yeah, awesome. I think your reply was really good. Yeah, so for for the first part, I was just thinking about the, the tweet you put on your blog where it was like adults don't exist or something like that, or adults aren't adults. And I have so many great conversations with my mom about that, where she was like, yeah, when I was your age, I thought, you know, 30 was just like ages away. And, and now she's 50 years old and it's, you never stop. And it's the same thing in college where it's, we do talk to, so I go to Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech has a great sort of startup ecosystem, but we meet a lot of really successful people and it almost feels like that we're like they've achieved something and they got their golden ticket and and they punched it and we have to find a way to get there somehow. And it was great to obviously to talk to you, but also to read what you've put out there because the question isn't really like, how do we get there? It's more like, how do we spend our time? And I, I still feel like a baby. I'm sure you still feel like a baby. Honestly, I'm pretty sure my mom still feels like a baby. That's one thing. And that's great. And yeah, I think the online communities thing, first of all, I, I set out to write, you know, a book. So I'm a part of a book writing program and it seemed like an ambitious thing to do. But one of the questions that they asked us when we started, it was like, what sort of community would you want to plug yourself into? And that got me thinking about what type of people would I want to talk about and be more like. And so obviously I I reached out to you because if you were like, what sort of people are doing cool things online, right? I'd found this incredible resource and it's, it's so great to see other people building things because tech at times seems it's like you have to deploy something in like a Kubernetes cluster and you have to know what a PHP server is. And I'm just like a, a first year CS major, like what is going on here? And so it was so great to see it made accessible 
And so one of the things I, I thought was really great that I saw online was someone tweeted, what will the impact be when we de-nerd coding? And, and you talk about it on the blog where really only 0.5% of like the world has started coding. And eventually, hopefully we do get to a point where it's that critical mass of some large majority, because I think that's an incredible sort of thing. And it's one of the questions I want to answer in the book is like, what does it mean to empower anyone to become a creator? And what's the impact that can have on someone's life? Because as you were talking about it, you really took control of your life. You used the word curated, which does sound a little bit artificial in the sense that like our social media streams are curated and stuff like that. But I totally understand the sentiment where it's you decided that this was the type of person you wanted to be. And it's so great because it, it opens me up and frees me up to thinking like, okay, maybe if Steph can do it, maybe I can try to be the person I want to be and interact with the people that I want to interact with. And it's not like I don't love my childhood friends, but it's it's so great to meet people like you. So I want yeah, to take... Let me just quickly comment on that. I love that you brought up this curated sense on social media, but I think what a lot of people miss is that if you don't intentionally go and curate your life, it will be curated for you, right? Just like social media is. If you don't curate your social media feed, if you don't decide to actually not engage with social media, like Instagram is showing you whatever it wants to show you. And the same thing is true with life. If if you don't curate your life, whether it's your job, the people you spend time with, how much time you spend with your family versus not, things like this, like it'll happen on its own. And so you're basically deciding to let life curate life for you or the world curate life for you or doing it yourself. Yes, even though it sounds a little artificial, it's important to note that if you don't do it yourself, it will be done for you regardless. Right. Yeah. And it's great because you touch on all these different ideas from coding, but also these philosophical ideas of how to be an active participant in your own life. And I think that's great. And yeah, I mean, you, so you built a few things, quite a few things. And one of the things you built was uh, FeeMake, right? And, And so that was a good resource for helping people understand how many women played a role in different industries, but also specifically female makers. So I wanted to ask you about how important first of all what is it you know like being a female maker and how important do you think it is to have other female makers because the more i i understand more about technology the more i realize how powerful it is and first of all giving that tool to someone is an incredible gift but also there are vital societal decisions that need to be made over the next 10 20 years that will need women at the table so how important do you think it is first of all for there to be a resource like that because I know that was pretty big on Product Hunt, but also how important do you think it is to have female makers? Yeah, it's a great question. Something that I think sometimes is misunderstood because people say, oh, but there's like a disparity of females in this other industry, like doctors or pilots and all this stuff. And that's fine. They're, they're, we should try to achieve gender parity as much as possible, but through equal opportunity, not necessarily equal outcomes. But, but what's important here and the reason that I care about tech specifically is because, as you alluded to, tech is already probably the most important industry and that is only advancing. And so it's not just the most important industry in terms of like how it contributes to GDP and things like that, but it's like technology runs our lives. And so you need, 
you can already see this in, I'm Canadian, but within the US where there's these, the meetings with the big five when they show up with Congress yep. and Congress doesn't even know what's going on. They don't yep. know, like, they don't understand technology. I take my technology. phone from here to here, does Google know where I went? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't understand technology in such a way that they can actually govern their nation effectively. And so even separate from the gender equation, you just need, you need as many people, I believe, to understand technology I, I want to write an article, I'm in the middle of writing an article about basically like technical literacy or digital literacy, which is that back in the day, you were at a, an extreme, you basically had a chip on your shoulder if you couldn't write or read, like you were at an extreme dis- disadvantage. And now most people in the world have basic literacy, like written literacy or spoken literacy. But I think we're approaching a point where technology has become so important that most people in the world or more people at least in the world should have digital literacy. That includes understanding digital privacy, but also how does a computer work? How do you build a basic HTML, CSS page, even if you're not planning to be a developer in terms of your core role? So I think that's really important in order for people to be able to have a seat at the table. And then within that, as you mentioned, with something so important in terms of how it will pave the path for legislation, how it paved the path for wealth, distribution, things like that across the country and the world, then you need a more distributed, you need more women at the table, you need more colored people at the table, you need more people from different backgrounds at the table, because this is such an important topic. So again, I think some people will ask the question where it's like, what about this other industry? This is actually the most important industry currently already, in my opinion, but also moving into the future. And for that reason, it is really important that we get a distribution that's representative, right, of our population, because it really will be something that influences everyone. And so the reason that I made the that tool fee make, which I think the same thing should be made for people of different ethnicities, people of different social, like LGBT backgrounds, things like that, But basically the idea is just to show that for an industry, makers is not, makers is only one subset of tech. But if we think about tech overall, there's just such a disparity in terms of the amount of wealth being created, the amount of decisions that are governed through technology that are being made by such a small percentage of the population. And that percentage of the population is really not very, there is basically mostly white men. I have no problem with white men. There's many amazing white men out there, but do you know what I mean? It's not a representative population. And so that's why I made FeeMake. I think there's many other tools that can be made out there to shine a light on this topic, which is really all that it was trying to do. And I do think you mentioned that what is the impact of seeing other female makers and having mentors and things like that. I think it's really important because Speaking to our conversation earlier where we were talking about how sometimes you don't feel like something, like you don't feel like a developer, you don't see yourself in that identity, um, and therefore you don't engage with that thing. I think the same thing is true with not just technology, but within any industry or role where you, if you don't really see people who look like you, feel like you, you are so much less likely to engage there. And so, of course gender within tech is a much more complicated issue than just like one thing. But I do think as part of that matrix, seeing other people who are like you in an industry certainly is part of 
the solution. And so that was the point of FEMAKE is just to shine a light on, look, there really aren't many female makers in this community. And how do we, A, just be aware of that and try to change it, but also be like, give more awareness or support to the women who are in this industry. So on on FEMAKE, you'll also see some of the top female makers who, despite being such a small percentage of that community, are still you know, engaging with it and building things and doing awesome stuff. So that was the idea of FEMAKE. And again, I think it's certainly not going to change the world, but it is one step among many where we can just be more aware of how important tech is and how there really isn't very much, you know, there isn't, there's a disparity in terms of the distribution. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the question that you were asking about before is people will point to other industries I think what people are really trying to say is that there are obviously inherent differences between men and women. And I think people are trying to play it off as that fact that it's the whole equal opportunity versus equal outcomes thing. But I, the reason I sometimes have a problem with that argument is that exactly for the same reason you talked about is technology is literally remaking our world. Technology is eating the world and people talk about it all the time. And so we need people, as you mentioned, gender diversity is important, but racial diversity sometimes even more so we need people with different life paths with different sort of ways of viewing the world solving problems to be at that table especially when machine learning and ai are getting so powerful and yeah i think that's awesome so yeah i just checked the time i wish we could talk forever but this interview flew by and so my last question just to end it is what makes you the most hopeful for the future, whether it's in your own life or just for the world in general? Yeah, so I think there are many things that worry me about the future, but at the same time, I toe the line and we have to worry about, but in the end, in like in that we've been ever faced in life. And I'm hopeful in particular about our way to solve that, those problems. And so even though there are many things to dislike about how certain science and technology is being utilized, right? So even like social media, for example, there are many arguments to say like how this is negatively impacting our world. I do believe that as 7 billion people on this earth, we are able to achieve incredible things. I'm not saying there won't be road (laughs) bumps along the way, but I do think that um, with so many people who are so intelligent and the tools that we have in order to share that intelligence in 2020 and beyond, I think we can achieve almost anything. And that includes things like, from my perspective, even things like climate change, which are absolutely an issue. I think the only way we're going to solve climate change is through advancements in science and technology, not through what I, what I sometimes am not as confident in is our, our human to human interactions. Right. So I don't think we're going to solve climate change through convincing people that climate change matters necessarily, although that's important, but to get back to your question, I'm super confident, super um, bullish as people say on human ingenuity, our ability to fix nearly almost anything and everything with science and technology. And so that is what I'm particularly um, excited about. Okay. Awesome. Again, yeah, thank you so much for talking to me. It was so like amazing just that you emailed back. Sure. Um, so I really appreciated that. 
And I thank you for learning in public and building in public and giving me the confidence to do the same things. So definitely I'll, you know, probably record this somewhere, put it on YouTube and then write a blog post about it and plug you and and your book sure. and, and everything else you have um, in a ton of different places. Thank you so much for talking to me. This is a really good experience. And yeah, hopefully when the book's done sometime next year, I'll um, send you a copy. Cool. Awesome. This was super cool. Keep me posted on the book. Yeah, I'd be super stoked to read it when it's out. And yeah, thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.